friends, for the last two days, I had no voice. So we were praying that I'd get up today and be able to do it. And those of you who know me know how hard it was for me to rest my voice for two days so that it might show up today. <laughs> You're just gonna have to listen a little closer. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. This week's parable provides a bit of a challenge for us. We've heard enough of Jesus' stories to know that if one of the characters is a Pharisee, we are supposed to root for or emulate the other character. And in this particular story, Jesus makes it so easy for us. He paints such an exaggerated image of the Pharisee at prayer and such a humble image of the tax collector at prayer that it hardly seems fair. It is so clear, so black and white. We are to admire the tax collector's ability to confess his unworthiness and ask for God's mercy. We are to avoid being sanctimonious and self-justifying like the Pharisee. We get it. And on the slim chance that we cannot figure it out for ourselves, Luke spoon feeds us by concluding, I tell you, the tax collector went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. We are comforted knowing that while not being quite as humble as the tax collector, we are definitely not as sanctimonious as the Pharisee. But anytime we begin to see one of Jesus' parables as comfortable, we should take another look. First, let's look at the Pharisee. Because we know of Jesus' judgment at the end of the parable, we want to see the Pharisee as the bad guy. After all, he is the one who goes down unjustified. We want to be justified, hence by the transit of property, we do not want to be the Pharisee. But let's bracket off that conclusion for now and simply look at what Luke tells us about him. The Pharisee is a good man. He's honest, he works hard, he doesn't fool around on his wife. He's loyal to his friends, he's active in his community, he is patient with his children and the dog loves him. <laughs> More than this, the Pharisee is religious. He worships regularly in the temple, he fasts twice a week and he tithes. He is not a hypocrite. His outward uprightness is matched by his inward discipline. And when we encounter this Pharisee, he's giving God thanks for his wonderful life. If we're honest, we would admit that we not only want this man as a pledging member of our congregation, we want him to serve on the vestry. <laughs> now let's look at the tax collector. The tax collector is a legal mafioso. He has contracted with the Romans, the occupying enemy, to collect tolls and taxes from the Jewish people. He extorts all the money he can bleed out of people, having paid the Romans a flat fee for the right to do so. He is, by definition of Jewish law, unable to testify in legal matters. The tax collector is de facto untrustworthy. So why does the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, go home justified? Well, the answer, as we can see, lies in their prayers. Prayer reveals our relationship with God. 
The tax collector comes to the temple knowing he is despised by those around him. But this will not deter him from his deep need to ask for God's mercy. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He knows he does not deserve it, but he asks for it anyway. And because he asks for grace, he receives it. The Pharisee, on the other hand, asks for nothing. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He makes no confession of sin, no request for mercy, and no appeal for grace to continue to live a godly life. The Pharisee sees the law as a blueprint for do-it-yourself salvation. And because he's been able to follow the blueprint and then some, he believes himself to be in no need of God's mercy. Yes, the Pharisee gives a laundry list of all the things that he does that he thinks gets him in good with God. And yes, he doesn't ask for God's mercy. But I think where the Pharisee really leaves the track is in comparing himself to others. He measures himself against his neighbor and is pleased with the difference. It is this sense of competition that sullies his prayer. He has moved from words of gratitude to words of pride and judgment. In the exaggerated prayer of the Pharisee, this is obvious. With us, the line is much more subtle. And we almost never notice when we cross it, but we do it all the time. We are all sinners. And we are all in need of God's grace and forgiveness. And on our best days, I think we are well aware of this. But we certainly do like to compare ourselves to others. We look down on those who we don't think are as clever as we. We judge those who are less religiously engaged. We discount and dismiss those who we think feel superior to us. Our prayer might sound more like, God, I thank you that I'm not like my neighbor who sleeps in on Sundays instead of coming to church, or my friend in the other political party who doesn't understand your will for our nation, or my brother-in-law who thinks he's so smart but really comes off as arrogant. If we're honest, we will admit that we're tempted to believe that we are better than those whose situations we deem to be undisciplined or in disarray. How many times have we said something like, there but for the grace of God go I? In that just more culturally acceptable way of saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Our capacity for smugness is astonishing. We define ourselves by who we are not like. We so desperately want to think good of ourselves that we appoint ourselves the monitors of other people's lives. When we don't have the courage to look at the shadows in our own heart, we have no place to look but at others. Both of these men 
pray about themselves. But one of them is looking around the room and the other one is looking for God. When we erect walls, even if only in our hearts and minds, between those of us who are in and those of us who are out, we deny God's grace. When we are tempted to judge one's acceptability before God by what we see from our limited human perspective, we deny God's grace. When we come to believe that being right with God is all about living a life of personal morality instead of engagement with the messiness that is his world, we deny God's grace. And when we're tempted to think that our good lives are the result of our righteous living, we deny God's grace. Neither the Pharisee nor the tax collector nor us is worthy of salvation. We haven't earned it. It is an unmerited gift from God. He asks us to come to him not on our perceived merits, but open and humble and vulnerable. When we truly accept God's love and mercy, we will not be tempted to mentally create a list of all the ways that we get it right, especially compared to those around us. Now, when we truly accept God's love and mercy, we will be grateful. And that gratitude will inspire us to show love and mercy to others. Let us not fall into the trap of this parable, comparing these men and feeling assured of who is right and who is wrong. Let us instead lift up what is admirable and to be emulated in each of these men. Here at St. Michael, we are in the midst of our annual stewardship drive. We are doing amazing work to serve the members of our congregation with programming and pastoral care and to serve our community, especially those most in need with our outreach efforts. We are doing good work that partners with God to bring about his purposes. This takes funding. So we need folks who understand that they are called to give financially to the work of the church. And not simply to give, but to give in sacrificial ways, working toward a tithe. The Pharisee models this for us. He appears to have no angst about giving 10% to God. He doesn't look for ways to avoid or reduce it. Whether he realizes it or not, his commitment to this level of sacrificial giving regularly puts him in space where God can work within him. Because when we hold less tightly to our money and joyfully give to God, we come to know that we live in abundance and not lack, that we have been gifted, not burdened and that our meaning is found not in our own enterprise, but in knowing that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. And let us emulate the tax collector in his humility. Let us, regardless of the comfort of our lives, remember that all of it is a gift and not something we've earned or deserve. 
Let us honestly own before God the many ways we don't live into the best of ourselves. And let us know that all that we do toward the building of God's kingdom is a drop in the bucket of the blessing that is our life and not something in which to take pride or boast. God is merciful to all, the rule keepers and the rule breakers, the got it going ons and the hot messes. Not because of who we are and what we do, but because of who God is. Let us drop our comparisons to others, our tendencies to try and justify ourselves and simply rest in God's great love for us. Let us respond to that love in gratitude, giving generously to God's work in the world. And let us know that God is just as gracious with us when we are too pleased with ourselves as he is when we humbly pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Amen.